the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, again, we thank you that eternity passed before the foundation of this world, you determined not only to create us, but to save us. And Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to accomplish your will, to live a perfect life, to go to the cross so that he might be the propitiation, he might be the acceptable sacrifice on our behalf. And Father, we thank you that as your Spirit has come, as your Spirit has opened up our eyes and our hearts, that we have understood the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, that he is the God-man, that he died, that he was buried, he was resurrected, that he conquered death, he conquered sin, and that through your Spirit we've been able to understand and believe, and we thank you for that. And therefore we know that this race that you have placed us in was begun by you. And you have empowered us. And you've given us the wisdom and the understanding. And now we ask that you would give us understanding into your word, especially 2 Corinthians, so that we might run this race well and finish well. We ask that uh, you would convict our hearts in areas that we have allowed as far as sins and just weights that are weighing us down, that make us so that we cannot run this race well, that we'd be willing to repent of these sins so that we we might honor and glorify you in this race. So we ask for your wisdom, for your guidance, for your conviction, and for your transformation as only your spirit can do in our lives so that we could truly honor and glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're actually going to be there today. I, we've looked at this passage actually a couple other times, I believe. But it's, it's one of those favorite passages for me. You know how you have a favorite passage, something that you keep going back to? Actually, I have a lot of them, but this is one of my favorite passages right here. It's this whole idea of running with endurance, like Hebrews 12 says. By the way, Jesus Christ ran with endurance even to the point of death, and now is set down at the right hand of the Father, waiting to return. By the way, he's the reigning king, except he hasn't been, uh, the world doesn't know it yet, but he's coming back, and when he does, he's coming with us. You know, as you think about running with endurance, you often probably think of a marathon. I've been reading this book by Steve Lawson, yeah, the book's name is In It to Win It. And he's not talking about an earthly race, he's talking about the heavenly race. In It to Win It. Are you in it to win it? Are you in, the, are you in this race? By the way, we're not racing for our salvation. Because when you, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then your eternal salvation is secure. You're forgiven. You've been made part of God's family. You're a child of his. You're a joint heir with Christ. But again, we still have a race to be won, a run, because we have a race to be won. (laughs) What do you mean then? If our salvation is secure, what are we running for? We're running for the glory of God. We're running for eternal reward. Someday we do stand before Christ, as Corinthians says, at the Bema seat. We are running the race on this earth because we know that there are rewards for those who are faithful. Steve Lawson in this book asks the question, he says, do you know the origin and significance of the term marathon? The year was 490 B.C. On the open plains near the small town of Marathon, that's where this battle is going to be fought, the ancient Greeks met the invading Persian army in a strategic battle. If the Persians won, the Greek empire would surely topple. Against impossible odds, the Greeks charged into the Persian camp, catching their enemy by surprise and overcame the mighty Persians, thus saving the Grecian empire from defeat. 
As legend has it, a Greek soldier, and this guy's name is a little bit hard, it's not like Sam, it's Fetipides. 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 Can you say that with me? Fetipides. Anyways. A Greek soldier named Fetipides was then dispatched to run to the headquarters in Athens, about 25 miles away, to announce the good news of victory. With unwavering determination and resolve, Fetipides ran through all night all the way from Marathon to Athens. Upon entering the city of Athens, he sprinted to his superiors. Rejoice, he said, we have conquered. As he delivered the message, he fell to the ground and died. Phidippides became a Greek hero, a symbol of endurance and determination. As a tribute to this faithful soldier who ran so bravely through the night, the, the marathon race was born. Runners in the Greek Empire would soon attempt to duplicate his courageous feat, calling upon the same endurance. Now, if you know sports, you say, but wait a second, the marathon of today is not 25 miles, and you're correct. Actually, it was 1908 when the Olympics was held in in, um, London. And at that time, the marathon was going to be run from Windsor Castle to the White City Stadium. And it just happened to be that that distance was 26 miles, let's see here, 385 yards. And so today, when we run a marathon, or actually not when we run it, but when a person runs it, it's 26 miles, 385 yards. Because from that point on, that's what became a marathon. Now, as you think about a marathon, you think, boy, there's a lot of a lot of energy that goes into one. I, I've told you on occasion that my wife, when she worked at Liberty, worked for a man, David Horton, and he used to run not only marathons, but ultra marathons, which are 100 miles. And uh, I remember when David would come in after an ultra marathon, he'd be like, you know, you, you could literally with one finger push him over because all his energy was gone. I mean, everything he had was thrown into that race. So you have 26, you have 50, you even have the 100. It's huge. But again, we're running a marathon. You know, sometimes we look at the Christian life as uh, like a sprint. There are some Christians that are good sprinters as far as in the spiritual sense. You know, they got saved, they were excited about the Lord, they got off the starting block. They came to church with enthusiasm. Every time the door was open, they were there. They read their Bibles. They were looking around saying, well, why isn't everyone else excited? But then time, time, and a few hurts. And before long, they may become a little bit frustrated, a little bit discouraged, maybe a little depressed, maybe rethought how they looked at Christianity, maybe even became a little cynical. See, they were really good at the 100-yard dash, as it were, but eventually they burned out. They dropped by the wayside. They were like a rocket, really quick going up, but like a rock coming down. In the day-to-day grind of the race, they eventually weakened. They wavered. They lost heart. See, we don't want to be like that. We want to be marathoners. By the way, the problems along the way are going to show your true intention. We've said it many times, it's the trials and temptations of life that really show who you really are. See, it might have been the trial of, well, I didn't, I didn't realize that I was going to have health problems after I became a Christian. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to have relational problems after I became a Christian. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to have problems, period. <laughs> and then you have problems maybe in your family or problems in your you know, work and... Well, I didn't even realize that church leaders were going to give me a problem. And they didn't, the church didn't turn out to be everything I thought it was going to be. In fact, someone was just telling me today, uh, I, I'm looking for the perfect church, but until I find it, I'll stay here, or something like that. <laughs> uh, I won't say who she is. but 
no, 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 no. We get saved because we are in desperate need of salvation because our sins condemn us and we realize that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and he paid the penalty for our sin. And once we put our faith and trust in him, he tells us to do the one anothering, get connected to a local church with the specific intent of understanding that he understands that we should understand that it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be tough. That's what we were talking about three weeks ago on fellowship, the one anothering. The idea is we're going to rub our lives together. Sometimes we're going to act like porcupines. We're going to stick each other. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. But the point is, is that we are working together for the glory of God. And when someone falls down, we don't kick dirt over them. We seek to help them out of their ditch. And we run this race well. In fact, one of the, uh, you know, I, I think it was at, uh, I think it was for the disabled Olympian is where I heard it. But the point was there was a race going on and someone stumbled and fell and the person turned around and stopped running his race, ran back, picked up his fellow racer and helped him across the line. See, that's how the Christian race runs. We don't, we're not trying to outrun each other. We're, we're seeking to all finish well. And sometimes we stop, and that is part of my Christian race, stop to help someone else up, and I would trust you would do the same for me, right? But sometimes we do have those who are losing heart. And I'll go back to a definition by Wayne Mack of losing heart. It refers to that devastating experience which involves different words such as apathy, indifference, confusion, tiredness, or just this, loss of motivation. And by the way, this has all got to do with the spiritual realm. I'm not talking just physical. I'm talking about where we just lose passion for God. This bleeds into every area. In the mental, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual fatigue. It, it, it touches everything, but we're talking it from a spiritual point of view. See, what's the opposite of uh, losing heart? Growing weary. Well, the opposite is this. Excitement, vitality, energy, optimism. I'm talking in the spiritual realm. Are you optimistic about spiritual things? Are you optimistic about the fact that you are changing and growing to become more like Jesus Christ? That is totally, like, really cool to me. I mean, that is really just like, I just like, if, if, when I'm praising the Lord, it's like, Lord, thank you so much that so many of the things that have been in my life are starting to shed off. I'm not saying I'm never tempted. I'm just saying, thank you for changing and growing me. Are you optimistic about that? Are you encouraged are you becoming more selfless? or See, by the way, uh, when you lose heart, you have a tendency to become more selfish. Do you have, as it were, get up and go for God, for his people, for his program, and say people for his church? You know, by the way, I'm excited about the building over here. Aren't you excited about that? It's going to be nice, epic. But boy, that's not where the real excitement is. The excitement is the fact that people of God meeting together, ministering to one another, that's just going to be a tool to accomplish that. So again, I trust that you have uh, excitement and optimism. By the way, the, the opposite could be also this, cynical. I've, I've been thinking a lot about the word cynical. You know, cynical, just cynical. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. No, 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 no. You know, you know like, yeah, God's really working in your life, Right. That's cynical. No, no, wait a second. If God's on the throne, if Jesus Christ is Lord, he is working in your life. He's got, if you have the Spirit of God in your life, if you've been truly born again, the Spirit of God is in your life, you are changing and growing. Now, it might be like this. You might be going at a snail's pace. But the reality is, he, he's going to win. Right? See, this is what I've been realizing. Of, of man, I mean, I always tell you my lessons I've been realizing. These are life lessons. But the point is, is I'm dead to sin. Romans says that. And that's not something like I'm dying to sin. He's saying I'm dead to sin. And, and you are too if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And what that means is this. That's Romans 6. That means when I receive Christ, he transferred me spiritually to a new realm. And then he burned the bridge. And I can't go back. Now, sometimes as a Christian, I look back to my old life. And I want those old sins that I had. And I kind of yearn from them. But I'm at a different point spiritually, and I'm looking over the vast lake, as it were, <laughs> to the former life. But the reality is the bridge has been burned. And you know what a true, truly mature Christian does? Starts realizing, you know what, I can't go back. I can't. 
because I'm secure in Christ. I can only go forward. And if you really want to get on a, a, a fast track on spiritual growth, realize that your sins are just that. They're old, they're old, man. You can't deal, I mean, you can deal, you got to deal with them, but you can't yearn for them. That just burns you out. Now, this whole thing of losing heart apparently is a very common problem because you see actually three different Greek words in the scriptures to define this idea of losing heart. Now, the first one is, is in 2 Corinthians 4, and you, you're there, the second part of it says, we do not lose heart. It's the word uh, ekakio. But there's two other words, I won't even say them for you, it, it really doesn't matter, but if you put all these words together, these Greek words, they mean these type of things. To grow weary, to faint, utterly spiritless, exhausted, weakened, faint of heart, you get the idea. God is saying in his word, hey, there's a great temptation for Christians to get spiritless, as it were. In other words, to lose heart, to become weary while doing good, as Galatians 6 says. We've got to guard against this. In fact, I think as we come before the table today, you've got to ask yourself, are you wearied? See, it's a command that we not be. But if you've kind of given up on God's people and God's church and God's plan and God's program, maybe even on God, I don't mean like you, that you've rejected him, but like this, Lord, you know what? This wasn't supposed to be my life. I received you. Things were great. Ten years later, look at where I'm at. Look at the frustrations. Look at the hurts. Look at the relationships that are not perfect. And you start shaking your fist at God. Let's see, you're losing heart. You know, as you come to 2 Corinthians 4, we've got to remember Paul. See, Paul wrote this. He wrote it to the Corinthians. This is the <coughs> second letter that we have. I think it's the third letter. But one of them got lost. But the point is, is that, you know, what was Paul's life like? The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul. Again, Paul didn't have an easy life. I want to say that again. He didn't have an easy life. See, he was a marathoner. He was running. He was running hard. But it wasn't easy. Sometimes we think, you know, like, well, he's a great apostle. Paul. He, you know, was taken to the third heaven. No, no, no. He had great hardship, great persecution. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, it says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble. By the way, it's our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. You got to get the picture there? So exhausted. Despaired even of life. Now, if you go to um, 2 Corinthians 6 or 2 Corinthians 11, you also see a lot of the problems he endured. Probably won't have time today. But look at verse 8, since you're in Corinthians 4. Verse 8, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Hard-pressed, a lot of pressure, not crushed. Perplexed, not in despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Oh, we're persecuted by man, not forsaken by God. Struck down, not destroyed. Oh, he, he faced many, many trials, but he still was able to say in cha chapter 4, verse 1, We do not lose heart. Now this again, this is the apostle after he'd been in ministry for about 20 plus years. Not a new Christian. Sometimes new Christians have all the excitement, enthusiasm, which is right, you should. <laughs> I mean, you just understood salvation. You just understood that your sin did not have to condemn you forever in hell. But this is an older Christian. He, he didn't have an easy life, but he was, say, he was able to say, I didn't lose heart. So again, second thing is he's not a new Christian. He'd been... Again, in the ministry for about 20 plus years, he'd already gone on two missionary journeys ministering to the churches of Asia. And now he's on his third missionary journey as he's writing this book. But he's still able to say with great enthusiasm, though difficult, I am optimistic. I am optimistic. I see God working. I see God working in the people I'm ministering to. I see people God, uh, God working in my life. The third thing we know about Paul is that he was not superhuman. He wasn't stoic. He wasn't devoid of feelings. And that's, by the way, how I often picture the Apostle Paul. 
Like anything could be said, anything could be done. He's like a tank just moving forward, stoic. First gear, he's a plotter. But apparently he had great feeling. In uh, Corinthians 1.23 it says, Moreover, I call God as a witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. You might say, why didn't you come? The Corinthian church had hurt Paul so greatly and he felt like by him being there, it was just going to create more problems. I mean, as far as the church, the people of the church had turned on the Apostle Paul. And in chapter 2, the next verse, it says this, but I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. Verse 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Now, now let me just back up. Much affliction, anguish of heart, many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So here, he's a hurting man in the sense that he has ministered, he has given, he has loved. They haven't reciprocated. (laughs) They haven't reciprocated. They haven't given it back to him. In fact, perhaps they were the ones that had become cynical. You know, it's true that those who you love greatly, those who you most love greatly can be the ones that can hurt you the greatest, right? Sometimes that's why we don't love. I I think that's sometimes why I, I don't. At times I have to push myself because I know that when you love greatly, when you really, you can then, you're opening yourself up to, for exposure, And yet here's the apostle, and he loved greatly. And yet he was hurt. He was hurt. He says that. Again, the the Corinthians had criticized him. They had called him (coughs) untrustworthy. By the way, and you say, where where are all these? If you go through Corinthians, if you just read Corinthians, and as he is responding to them, you can see this. In other words, it's like between the lines. You can see where how they were were basically... um, Uh, you know, holding back on Paul's ministry to them. As one man said, they had called him fickle, weak, ugly, and a poor speaker. (laughs) You can't get much worse in one sense as far as, I mean, this this is what his ministry was. So he said, but you know what? In this whole thing, I don't lose heart. He's telling the exact people who's hurting him, I don't lose heart. And then the final thing, if you just go to verse 1, and now we'll get right into the text, it says, we. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. We do not lose heart. Again, you can see the fact that when it comes to Paul, he doesn't ever think of himself as an individual. He's working in a group. And by the way, that's what you always see with the apostles. That's what you see with Christians. Any, any Christian, if they're really becoming um, Effective is working together. We need to work together. One of the things that Satan wants to do to Christians is isolate. And we need to work real hard to stay together because then we will not lose heart. Well, let's look at uh, four secrets, as I would say, Paul's secrets for endurance. And again, this is just out of chapter 4. The first one is this, and again, we find it in verse 1. Paul focused on the ministry God had given to him. He focused on the ministry that God had given to him. Verse 1, since we have this ministry. We have this ministry. See, if I'm going to be the type of man... If you're going to be the type of man or woman, if you're going to be the type of Christian who is not going to lose heart, I think the first thing is you have to realize that you've been called into the race and you do have a ministry. The person that just is trying to get, you know, I I need, I need, I need. Well, we all need, that's for sure. But if you don't, first of all, identify, you know, wait a second here. I was a sinner damned. God has rescued me. He has brought me into his family, given me a spiritual gift, as Corinthians says, for the common good. And now I have purpose. I have purpose. See, I'm not just here. I am not here just trying to finish strong by myself. See, I often say that, and that's true. But the reality is I have concern for you that you finish well as, as well. Because I have a, see, I have, a, I have a spiritual gift. You do too. When, when you start looking and becoming, when you see others... That means you're becoming selfless. And that right there gives you strength. See, 
I, I want to finish well for, two, for a number of reasons. that glorifies God, but I want to finish well because, again, my reward. But I want to finish well also for this reason. Because I know, I know this. If I stumble in the Christian walk, let's say I stumble and I had to be put out of ministry. I've just heard all you. Because you know what you do? I can't believe it. 28 years he was a pastor of Alfred Allman Bible Church. Look at his wife. Look at the destruction he's done. I can't believe it. See, I've just hurt your, I've just hurt your chances of finishing well as well. Because we're working together here. When I stumble, you stumble. When you stumble, I stumble. In one sense, right? We're a family. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep, right? So we got to... See, he focused on the ministry that God had given to him, but to him is not just pers- individual, it's, it's the we. By the way, that word ministry there is the word diakonai, where we get de- uh, uh, deacon. It means servant. I'm a servant, you're a servant, we're all servants. Sometimes we try to elevate, you know, he's the pastor. I'm a servant. Lee Ryan is a servant. The elders are a servant. The deacons are servants. We're servants. And we might be called to a certain leadership position, but we've got to remember, saved by grace, right? Fellow struggler. So that's the first big one. If I'm going to finish well, if I'm going to run this race well, I've got to re- remember, he's, been, he's put me into this race, and I've got a purpose, I've got a gift that I've got to, to use. And by the way, you have a gift that you need to use. That gives you energy. Yes, Lord, I've got a purpose. You put me here for a reason. And when I start, you know, runny nose and it's all about me. <laughs> no, it's about them. That's what he tells me. It's about them. You know, get up off your duffer and let's get moving, John, because you've got work to do. And he didn't say it that way, but that's how I kind of perceive him saying it. You know, Paul remembers this. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting in me into ministry. Now, when he says that, remember, what was Paul before he got saved? Well, he said it in the next verse. <clears throat> he was formerly, what, a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, and an insolent man, and the word insolent means arrogant, one who gives insults and hurts both verbally and physically. But the idea is, Paul was one bad dude from God's perspective, one evil, wicked man. And yet Paul says in verse 12, I thank Jesus Christ who has enabled me. By the way, that word enable means uh, to strengthen me. Some of the versions say strengthen me. In other words, that's empowering grace. What do you mean he, he strengthened him? He brought the word of God to Paul so that he, in the spirit of God, opened his eyes. Remember the, on, the, on the road there, right? And then he was able to recognize Jesus as Lord. See, that was the empowering grace of our, of our Savior towards Paul. That's why Paul was able to say in Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So he gave him empowering or enabling grace. But then he gave him entrusting grace because First Timothy says, he counted me faithful. What do you mean he counted me faithful? Paul, you're a blasphemer. You're a persecutor. You're insolent. What were you before you were saved? A hateful, selfish, lustful, envious, jealous. What, what were you? And yet he entrusted me to ministry. Well, it really has this, this idea Not the idea of inherently trustworthy. Rather, God considered Paul faithful because God, gets this, made him faithful. See, as I was praying this morning on this, I was thinking about all where I would be without Jesus. I don't even want you to know. Because I can I can see glimpses of it even now as I'm walking with him, the direction I would have gone without Jesus Christ. So when I'm saying that it is entrusting grace, I'm saying this, Jesus Christ saved you, he placed you, he trusts you because he is making you what you need to be. 
Or as Paul says in Corinthians 7, as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. That's a real important verse. You write that down, 1 Corinthians 7.25. Because the last part says this, in his mercy has made trustworthy. In his mercy, Jesus Christ made me trustworthy. In his grace, Jesus Christ made, makes Brooke trustworthy makes Steve trustworthy. Not inherent in ourselves. It's because Jesus Christ did it for us. And then finally, employing grace, putting me into ministry. In other words, he established me to serve. He established you to serve. Paul knew God had destined his ministry, that he had done nothing to deserve it, but that by God's grace and God's mercy, God had placed him into ministry. Now, do you see how that gives you... Um, power and enthusiasm and optimism to keep going forward and not lose heart out of eternity past God determined John Prince to be saved to be placed on this earth at this moment of time 2013 to serve that's exciting it wasn't like this dice let's see where he's going to be it was all by purpose so let's serve. As Corinthians says, for the common good. Paul looked at it as a tremendous privilege to be able to serve the body. How about number two? Paul focused on God's mercy towards him. Again, that's what we've been talking about. As we have received mercy, Paul knew God had bestowed great mercy towards him. What is mercy? Well, grace is getting something we don't deserve forgiveness and sonship and the mercy is the withholding of something we do deserve so here paul is referring to something we deserve we deserve damnation and yet jesus christ in his great mercy said no no he's not going to be uh, a son of perdition he's going to be rescued see sometimes we forget how bad it really was before we came to christ but look at Luke 18. You don't have to look there, but let me read it. Luke 18, verse 13. It says, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. What? A sinner. I, I, I imagine when he really said it, it would be like this. God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Because that's really how it is. But, why would, he, why would he mention mercy? Well, because again, <clears throat> see, when we forget mercy, we get quite proud. We start thinking we deserve something. How often we lose heart because we think we are not getting what we deserve. <laughs> Whether it is a fewer problems, less criticism, more success in our ministry, more appreciation, I don't know what it is. Fill in the blank. I deserve blank. Oh, no, no, we've got to go back to mercy. We've got to go back to grace. What has God done? See, that's why we keep COVID before the table. Do this in remembrance of me. What do you mean? Well, do this to remember all that I've done for you because without me, this is where you would be. Judgment. So we come back over and over again to remember all that Jesus Christ did. See, as one said, we often allow our minds to dwell on the things that we feel entitled to but that we are not receiving. When we are deprived of our, our, quote, perceived rights, end quote, then we can get very easily discouraged. Is your perception wrong? Do you have the wrong glasses on today? See, if you get the wrong glasses, what do you mean glasses? I, I don't mean physical, I mean spiritual. If, if you start thinking, well, this is what I deserved, I deserve, these are my perceived rights, and then if they don't line up, whether it's in a relationship or financially or health-wise or attitudes, whatever it might be, see, then, then we start saying, again, I deserve. And when, when I deserve and then I don't get it, then I lose heart. I get frustrated. By the way, at that point, the Spirit of God is no longer working in my life. Oh, he's knocking, but I'm not walking with him. Because the Spirit of God says what? Love, joy, peace. That's the fruit. Joy, especially joy and peace mean that I have inner peace without outward circumstance. See, right there, just the peace and joy. Just take those two characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. 
The fruit, those, two fruit, those two fruit tell me that I cannot be looking inward. I've got to be looking outward. It doesn't have to do with my outward circumstance. It has to, be, has to do with the Spirit of God working in my life. And my perception has to be I've been saved by grace and mercy. That's why Romans 12 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Because of the mercies of God, present yourself a living sacrifice. And that word living is in the present tense. It doesn't mean, oh, you know, present yourself a living sacrifice on Sunday and on Wednesday. Rest of the day, rest of the week, go ahead, it's yours. It means living sacrifice consistency, consistently all along the way. Now, we want to be a living sacrifice. But what drives us to be that? Mercy of God. So, we focus on my ministry, your ministry, that's one thing. Mercy of God, second. Third, he focused on God's purpose for hardship. His purpose. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. For we have this treasure in earthen vessel. By the way, this is a carry-on. If you go back, let me just give you a few things. Because we're jumping from verse 1 to verse 7, but just let me pull out a couple pieces. See, he actually gives us some characteristics along the way to get us to verse 7. Like in verse 5, what does it say? For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and our servants, excuse me, and ourselves, your bondservant for Jesus Christ, for his sake. Well, you know what happens? See, he says it in a positive. He said, we're your bondservants, all right? I mean, we're your servants, bondservants of Christ, but we're your servants. We're seeking to serve you. You know what happens when you uh, lose heart? You become selfless, selfish, not selfless. Paul's saying, listen, I'm, I'm selfless because I'm focused on Christ. Sometimes when people um, lose heart, they stop thinking biblically about trials and difficulties. That's where we're at right now. I was looking through this past. I was just pulling things out. Sometimes they stop doing good. Look at verse 10. The life of Jesus also be manifested in our uh, bodies. The idea of manifesting in our bodies means that we are growing. When we lose heart, we stop growing. Look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up us up with Jesus and will present us with him. You know what that, that verse is? Hope. You know, when you lose hope, uh, when you when you lose heart, you often lose hope. And yet, Paul says, "Hey, I have hope. Why? Because I haven't lost heart." Actually, there's a lot of other ones, but we won't just because of time. But the point is, is this: there's a lot of ramifications. I become selfish. I become focused. I become focused on me. I, I'm not growing. I'm not becoming like Jesus. I'm not serving. You know, all these different things. I'm, I'm not hoping. This whole issue of not losing heart is huge. It's like when uh, they run, they, they, you know, people say you hit the wall after like 20 miles, and then you feel like you've hit the wall and you can't go any farther, and you've got to keep running and keep saying, you know what, Lord, I've got to do it. And then you get into the 21st, 22nd, 23rd mile, and, you can, and then you can finish. People in the Christian race hit the wall. It's too much. And that's what we're talking about in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And, but notice what he says right after that. We are hard-pressed. We just read it earlier on, on every side. Yet not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. See, Paul is saying this. When hard times come, I know, I'm absolutely assured that God has a purpose for it. No trial is given without a purpose. James says the same thing. It says that because of trials in our life, we become more persevering, endurance, perfection. He's working through the trials. And yet he says this, you know, we are just earthen vessels, Clay pots. If I was to drop this, I found this on the uh, information desk, so I won't drop it. I'm not sure who. Maybe it's ours. I don't know. Kind of dead. But, you know, the point is it's a clay pot. In fact, you know what this reminds me of? Wallace Thibodeau. Why? Because I guess years ago when Wallace was down in the Carolinas, he, he did a lot of stuff with clay pots. He was, you know, big into uh, uh, selling these. By the way, Wallace and Penny moved. I don't know if you knew that. 
They're up near Canandaigua, correct, Karen? So keep praying for Wallace and Penny and Chris and Karen. But uh, they're in a new home. But again, we're just clay pots. Now think about it. If I dropped this, what would it do? Shatter. It's very fragile, not enduring. This glory, the life of Jesus Christ, now think about this, is in a clay pot. I mean, that's, I find that interesting. We have this great treasure inside our decaying bodies. The life of Jesus is in us. Why did God choose to put the great treasure of Jesus Christ into a clay pot? <coughs> Again, this verse tells us that God did it to show that all things are, what? By his power and not by ours. That's why he did it. I mean, six, verse 16 says this, this outward man is perishing. I mean, he could have, he could have put this life in, uh, in uh, the perfected angels. But he, put it, he decided to put it in clay pots. I, that's tough. I was studying. Actually, I originally was going to preach out of Romans 8, talking about the groanings of the Spirit of God. And one of the things that, that hit me was this. You know, the Spirit of God is in our lives. Think about this. The Holy Spirit, the perfect Holy Spirit is in our life. And yet we are continually, like clay pots, fragile. We are continually falling. We're continually stumbling. We're continually being cracked. We're continually sinning. And when we sin, what happens? Well, Ephesians says the Spirit of God, what? Grieves. It says in Thessalonians, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And you know, the, the Spirit is a person, not just a power, it's a person. And he is grieved. That's emotion. Can you imagine how much emotion the, the Trinity has towards us? Because we fail the God, we hurt God, we sadden God, we grieve God. In clay pots, we're so fragile. We're, we're see, you know, we'll, we'll leave a service like this today or I'll leave a time of prayer. Lord, I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. And within minutes, hours, saying, doing something wrong, thinking something wrong. Clay pots. And yet, verse 7, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. As we walk with him, he gets the glory. The more, the more mature we become, the more we understand our suffering. Now the suffering, the hardships are not irritants to us. We, we don't get angry over them. We receive them because we know that they, they are actually working for our good. By the way, hardship works for your good. It tremendously works for your good because think of what happens when you're in hardship. First of all, you become dependent. Lord, help. Now, because, the Spirit, because you've said help, the Spirit of God is in your life and you're really paying attention. You're really walking with him. Because, Lord, I can't get through this. You ever been there? I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't even know how I'm going to survive the day, let alone the week. What is happening now? The spirit of God's power is in your life. Now you're walking with God. Now think about this. As you're walking with God, <coughs> now you're moving towards your goal. See, God wants to reward you. He wants to reward you. He wants you to finish well. You should be in it to win it. You need to... But to do that, he has to put hardship in our life because what would be our tendency? Clay pot. Our tendency would be this. Got it. Thanks for saving me. I'll get to the end myself. So he, he throws us all kinds of things in our life. Why? Because he keeps bringing us dependent on him, the power of God. We walk with him. Therefore, we have been qualified, as it were, to receive the reward. So don't look at the hardship as, oh, yeah, you can do that, but Lord, I see the purpose. That's why he said in uh, Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you when Paul said, please take away the sword in the flesh. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, gladly I will rather boast in, in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to boast because the power of Christ is resting upon me during this, this hardship in my life. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, what? Then I am. And when I'm strong, I'm moving towards my reward. You are too. And then finally, verse 16 to 18, he focused on his future. 
And it really breaks down very simply, 16, 17, 18. Verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The idea is he's focused on his spiritual strength there. In other words, Paul treasured his spiritual strength more than his physical strength. If we don't see our spiritual strength as being increased, we're going to get real frustrated with our physical strength that's decreasing as time goes on. I mean, do you see your spiritual strength greater now than it was a year ago? I hope you do. Your spiritual strength. Do you see the passages the un- and the, the spiritual truths that now you really understand a little bit better? And God has, you know, transformed you a little bit more and more excited about truth? Yeah, because, yeah, our outward man is perishing. <laughs> our, our outward man is perishing, isn't it? You got any back pains? Hurts? You know, don't, yeah, don't. Don't come up later and tell me. But the point is, is we, but our spiritual inward man is being renewed, renewed, renewed. In fact, he actually talked about that renewal. If you go to just the next, the chapter before that, verse 18 of the last verse of chapter 3. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Spirit just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So he's being transformed. How do I get renewed strength? Focus on the future. Focus on the future. My inward man, number two, is found in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, but sometimes that affliction lasts a lifetime, but in comparison to eternity, that's a moment. That quick is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. What do you mean? Well, because as the afflictions come, light, I'm depending on Jesus. I'm walking with God. My reward is forward. I'm ready to get the reward. The affliction allows me, allows you to have a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then finally, the eternal realities. That's the third, verse 18. He cherished the eternal over the temporal. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That word seen, or do, do not look. What we look at, <coughs> excuse me, is, it's the word scopio. Now, what do we get that from? And what do we, we get that, what, scope? What do you use the scope for? You know, well, some of you deer hunters, right? You're hoping that your scope is clear. You're hoping that your scope is on during hunting season, right? So when you put it right on the deer, you can hit the deer. Well, we're looking, but we're not looking for a deer. We're looking out into eternity. See, we're, we're focused. We're focused on eternity. We're focused on our reward. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we have to focus. See, this is really, it kind of brings it right down. We need to focus our attention on eternal things. That's why the Lord's table is so critical. Because this focuses us on the eternal things. Yes, Lord, I was damned, but you saved me. You gave me mercy. You gave me grace. You put me into your family. I'm a joint heir. I'm running this race. I need to run it with endurance. I have this momentary affliction out there, but it's actually working for us. It's working for me for an eternal way to glory. So whatever it is, Lord, I just trust you as my father. I know that you have a purpose, and just, Lord, help me to finish well. And when I see fellow believers around me that are stumbling, help me to understand that we're in this together, and I'm part of the family, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to call, and I'm going to write the letter, and I'm going to go see that person to encourage them in the race as well. So Lord, as I come before this table, I'm going to confess some things. If, but you need to confess this. Lord, I've lost hope. I've become cynical. Forgive me. I've forgotten about mercy and grace and how wonderful you are. Forgive me. I started putting my eyes on the present. I'm starting to watch news to get my comfort from the news. Forgive me. I have forgotten how important it is that we run together. Forgive me. I don't know what it is, but this passage has a lot to say about not losing hope. If you have, 
I'd encourage you to ask God, Lord, in what areas? Maybe it's that I perceive my rights. Forgive me. I have no rights. Really, Christians don't. You are my master. I am your slave. Let me just run well so that you're pleased. So let's go before the Lord. I would encourage you to think about these truths. Prepare your heart so that you might partake of the table, as Corinthians says, in a worthy manner. And ushers, if you'd come forward. Because are you some of you stumbling? No, it was planned. <laughs> I was just wondering if I could pull it off where you'd actually think it was planned. <laughs> By the way, if I was really hurt, you'd come up, wouldn't you? <laughs> I hope you wouldn't laugh at me. But you know what? There are some hurting Christians. And I wonder if we're helping out them. Sometimes we just look at them. Maybe talk about them. Like Howard Hendricks says, we're the only type of group that shoot our wounded. We have to be careful. We're, people are stumbling. People are losing heart. People are growing weary. What does the passage say? You're growing weary. You know what you have to do? Go back to, you know what? I have a purpose on this earth. I have a gift. And it's not about me. It's about we. Because that's why gifts were given for the common good. Second thing, focus on the mercy of God and the grace of God. In other words, as one man said, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remember all the glories that the gospel contains for you because that gives you spiritual strength. Number three, when I go through physical trials, suffering, hardships, hurts, remember God has a purpose. God has a purpose for those. Read James 1, just the first few verses. God has a purpose for my trials. And then finally, focus our eyes, our scopio, our, our attention on eternity. Oh, it's, it's light affliction here compared to the glories that are going to be revealed in us. You want to have spiritual strength? You want to have vigor and stamina and energy for God and his people? Do those four things. I think of the, and I think I've, I've given this to you before, but it's about a runner Hours behind the runner in front of him, the last marathoner finally entered the Olympic Stadium. By that time, the drama of the day's events was almost over, and most of the spectators had already gone home. But this athlete's story, however, was still being played out. Limping into the arena, the Tanzanian runner grimaced with every step, his knee bleeding bandaged from an earlier fall. His ragged appearance immediately caught the attention of the remaining crowd who cheered him on to the finish line. Why did he stay in the race was the question. What made him endure his injuries to the end? When asked these questions later, he replied, quote, My country did not send me 7,000 miles away to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. And when it comes to God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they put us into this race, not just to be a sprinter, but to be a marathoner. He didn't just put us in to start it, but to finish it. So are you in it to win it? I trust that you are. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for those reminders. I thank you that through your Spirit, you can revive our hearts. And Father, I pray for those who are running well, that they would continue to run well. And I pray for those here that perhaps was starting to lose heart, was starting to get discouraged in the spiritual sense, was starting to get even cynical, that they would continue to repent, that your spirit would continue to fill them, and they would keep their eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of their faith. Father, again, help us to run well so that you would be glorified, so that we might be able to minister effectively for others and that we might hear someday, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Father, just guide us now for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.